Hello, I'm Nick Cater, and you're listening to a bonus podcast from the Menzies Research Centre. In my column in The Australian, I examine why good policy goes out the window when the dominant political emotion becomes fear. Leo Tolstoy told the story of war and peace in 1,250 pages. The International Panel on Climate Change kept going until the final footnote, Schleisler J et al. on page 3,949. Summarising the IPCC's sixth assessment review in 280 characters or fewer is hard to say the least, but Labour's climate spokesman managed to do it with 49 characters to spare. There is a climate and nature emergency, Chris Bowen tweeted within hours of the report's release. This report is just the latest reminder of how important and urgent action is. And the Morrison government just shrugs its shoulders and can't even agree on the most minimal action required. Bowen's final 111 characters might seem gratuitous, coming from the spokesman of a party that threw away its old 2030 target and hasn't bothered to set a new one. Which is a pity, since the rich nation consensus is we need to get our skates on. John Kerry, Joe Biden's special envoy to an aching planet, said last week, all major economies must commit to aggressive climate action during this critical decade. Boris Johnson agreed that the next decade is going to be pivotal, while Emmanuel Macron gave a heartfelt cry for an accord à l'auteur de l'urgence when leaders meet in Glasgow in November. As our friends at The Guardian never tire of reminding us, Scott Morrison is out of step with the rest of the world, judging by his measured and practical response to the IPCC's latest house brick. The coalition's record on carbon management is not unimpressive. Between 2005 and 2019, our emissions fell faster than in Canada, New Zealand, Japan or the United States. The Europeans who want to slap a syntax on Australian beef have the hide of Brahmins, given their own hypocrisy. It's easy to be green if you outsource your heavy industry to China, as Europe has been doing for more than 20 years. The European Union's share of world steel production has more than halved this century from 20% to 9%, while China's has risen from 20% to almost half. Australia's steel production capacity has also fallen, by the way, from 0.003% of global capacity to 0.002%. The deindustrialisation card is not one a resource-based economy can play. Last week's unseemly scramble for virtue amongst rich world leaders was matched in the media, where the prize for the most outrageous headline belongs to The Guardian. IPCC's report verdict on climate crimes of humanity, guilty as hell. Rhetorical inflation has been a feature of climate coverage since the first UN Environment Summit in Stockholm almost half a century ago. The crucial decade meme may still work in politics, but it doesn't cut it anymore in the media, where embellishment breeds constantly with a gestation period faster than a bandicoot. The superficial response to the IPC report from people who clearly hadn't read it was a grave disservice to the teams of scientists who condensed as much evidence as they could in a couple of million words. An attempt to review a store of scientific literature as extensive as this one is bound to be open to accusations of subconscious distortion and groupthink. The scientists were not responsible for the summary for policymakers, which is where the simplification and overreach begins. This is a problem, since it is the only part that gets read seriously, 
or more likely skimmed, since it runs to 150 pages. In these circumstances, we shouldn't be surprised that the public debate is driven by sentiment rather than science. It largely reflects what politicians and journalists feel about what they imagine the IPCC is trying to say, rather than a grown-up analysis of the report itself. It is only by staying out of the weeds that they can pronounce on the subject with such seeming authority. Neither should we be surprised if the debate becomes emotional, since it is founded on little else but emotion, and the overwhelming sentiment is fear. Scaring the population witless about a common enemy, which only the state has the power to fight, is the oldest and most ignoble trick in the political playbook. Rhetoric matters greatly if we're looking for practical ways to meet and perhaps beat our greenhouse gas commitments and are not just here for an argument. As Thomas Sowell says, there are no solutions, only trade-offs. Balancing benefits with costs is all but impossible in an atmosphere of catastrophe, as we're learning in the pandemic. The Glasgow meeting is shaping up to be another panic fest of rich world hand-wringing, while the developing world seeks exemptions that will accelerate emissions and hasten the redistribution of wealth from the rest of the world to India and China. Australia looks like the odd country out, not because of lack of achievement or ambition. It looks different because we have a government that tries to answer the question how we're going to get to zero emissions, rather than merely frighten us into believing why we should. Unlike so many of their international counterparts, Morrison and his energy minister Angus Taylor have not walked past two inescapable facts. First, we don't yet have scalable technology to reduce emissions to net zero by 2050, but we will have if we commit to finding them and don't get distracted, just as we have done in developing a coronavirus vaccine. Second, bringing our economy to a shuddering halt won't help. The OECD's share of global emissions is down to a third and shrinking further every year. If China and other industrialising countries refuse to do the heavy lifting in the next round, we might as well give up. In truth, Australia will have many more friends behind the scenes in Glasgow than seems apparent from outside. Our focus on practical solutions will win allies in unlikely places. We should not be deterred by the prospect of being cast as a scapegoat for the miserable failure of the UN framework, since to deviate from our current path would be catastrophic for a country like Australia. Instead, the Prime Minister should draw comfort from the words of C.S. Lewis. When the whole world is running towards a cliff, he who is running in the opposite direction appears to have lost his mind. I'm Nick Cater for the Menzies Research Centre.